Hey, Forge family. Last week, we plunged through three chapters of 1 Samuel. The narrative accounts dealt with the selection of Saul, a Benjamite, to be the one to be king over Israel. Samuel is doing what the people have demanded. Quote, appoint us a king to judge, to lead, and to fight our battles. Unquote. In so doing, the people of Israel have broken their covenant with God. When Saul is confirmed out of the tribe and clan selection at Mizpah, the people see him as, quote, head and shoulders, taller than any other man. They looked out uh, at the outward man, the outward appearance, not on the heart. Within days of his confirmation, the king of Ammon, Nahash, his name means serpent, he besieges Jabesh-Gilead, a frontier city on the foothills on the eastern slope of the Jordan River drainage, just in proximity to the lands of Ammon. Saul rallies 300,000 warriors to take back that city in the tribal areas of Manasseh. The battle is swift. Nahash and his forces are decimated. I spoke of some of the connections in the history of the judges to the town of Gibeah and Jabesh Gilead. We noted together that God was at work on another level of restoration. Even while the people were rejecting his lordship, his kingship, and his covenant, the people gathered to, down to Gilgal to crown Saul and offer sacrifices to the God they have rejected. All right, let's pray. Father God, Almighty One, thank you that you are ever working, ever present. We all come from some national, religious, racial, familial hurts, betrayals, and grudges. And that is just from the history that we know about. Your care for us reaches back past the garden and sets in motion rescue and redemption. We are a product of that care and leadership from you. Keep undergirding us and making ways where there seems to be no way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, family, gather your Bibles, coffee, notebooks, pens. Let's get ready for 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And Lord, we ask for insight and Holy Spirit motions inside of us as we go through this passage. In Jesus' name. So, Saul is crowned, and the peace offerings to God are, are finished. Samuel turns to captivate the masses before they turn and leave to go home. And he says, I've listened to your voices, your demands, and I've appointed a king over you. Now, these words are fulfillment of the demands of men and the commandments of God. See, another summary might have been saying something like God saying, Samuel, you listen to them as I told you to do, and you obeyed me. Then Samuel points out Saul, crowned, walking before them, acknowledging that he is indeed, I'm old and gray relative to this guy. Then he says, behold, look, here are my sons in your midst. They are no longer judges in Beersheba. They're just part of Israel. 
with the, with the crowning of Saul, the judge system in Israel is done. It's finished. And Samuel finishes verse 2 with these words. Quote, I have walked before you from my youth, even to this day. This is another way to say, you know me. Unquote. Verse 3 explodes into an invitation to Israel, which just rejected God and Samuel, his prophet, to judge Samuel, to bear witness against Samuel. And he uses the word now, okay? And, and the word now is, is the start of this first part of the dialogue. He uses it four times to separate this chapter. Now, right now, I want you to judge me in the presence of God and his anointed King Saul. Quote, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? See, he's, he's referring back to number 16, verse 15, where, where Korah rebels and says, who is it that you have the right to choose who's going to be a priest? You know, you, you, you pick Aaron, you know, Aaron's just a guy. You know, you need to pick the rest of us too. And, and um, Moses just about loses it. He turns to God. He says, I haven't even taken a donkey from these people. Okay, here, Samuel says the same thing. Whose donkey have I taken? Who have I defrauded? Who have I oppressed? From whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes, to look the other way? See, that's Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy 16. Two different places where, he, where it's very clear that you do not take bribes. You do not pervert justice. And he turns and he says, hey guys, if this is so, I will restore it to you. Verse 4, Israel responds, one voice, you have not defiled us, you've not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. Another way to say that is, you've kept God's law regarding judges. You're blameless before the Lord and before the people. Verse 5, Samuel calls God as witness for, to their statements and calls Saul, the anointed one, who's been picked to lead against the Philistines, to witness the statements of Israel. Again, they, nothing was found in his hand. And the people said, God is witness. He is witness. Verse 6, the text says, the Lord appointed Moses and Aaron. Literally, the text says, The Lord made Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now, in verse 7, there's a second shift in the dialogue with Israel, where he says, So, now, the word now, you know, it's like it, it wakes us up and says, Okay, now. And he says to them, Take your stand. All right, these men, at least 300,000 of them plus, have, have had to hustle themselves some 50-plus miles from where they lived in the tribal areas to get to Bezek, to be mustered into the army. Then they quick march overnight 18 miles, and then they fight a battle from pre-dawn until the hot hours of, of the day, about 11 o'clock. And then Samuel steps in and says, all right, let's go down to Gilgal. They have to march 45 miles south. Couple, it takes two days, okay? Two days more walk, okay, without much refreshment. Okay, without, without fresh food, probably. It's whatever they had on their bodies. That's what was to eat. Okay, they arrive in Gilgal, and they've gone through the ceremonial uh, stuff, and they've crowned the king, and they're starting to 
buckle at the knees. They're starting to sit down. And Samuel says, take your stand. On your feet, people. Eyes on me. Now, I watch my wife do this. Because she has grandma school for her, a bunch of her young grandchildren. And when she sees her grandchildren starting to flag and get tired or bored or teasing, or they start playing a game or they're not paying attention, she'll say, okay, red light, red light. In other words, you stop right what you're doing right now. And then she'll say, eyes on grandma. You know, turn around, get your eyes right on my eyes because, you know, we're going to change what's happening here. We're going in this direction. We're going to stop doing this. Guess what? What's next? Here we go. And that's what Samuel is doing here. He says, on your feet, people. Eyes on me. And this is what he says. I'm going to plead with you before the Lord about all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he has done for you and your generations. Jacob went into Egypt. That's eight or nine hundred years before them. And he took his whole family, his goods, his carts, his herds, and even the sacks of grain that had just been delivered back to him from Egypt in the middle of famine. So he loads those sacks of grain onto the carts, and they eat on that all the way down to Egypt, where Pharaoh has agreed to give them the land of Goshen, the well-watered delta region of the Nile, for the, the, the grazing of flocks and herds. Okay. He also quarantined them away from the Egyptians, because the Egyptians despised shepherds. Anything having to do with animal propagation, care and feeding, slaughter, etc. That was just the lowest of the low for the Egyptians. So they were put away safely into Goshen. And then another pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. And for 400 years, the people of Israel, the sons and families of Jacob, were in bondage. And when they cry out to the Lord... This is what Samuel says. The Lord sent Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. He's standing at Gilgal. This is where they came into the land. He settled you right here. Verse 9. But your fathers forgot their God. They forgot the Lord their God. See, Deuteronomy 32, 18 says, You neglected the rock that begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. And then the text follows and says, So God sold them into the hand of Sisera, the captain of the army of Hazor. Okay, it's just one example. And, and, and in a sense, what God is doing, he's offering Israel for sale. He prompts all these predator nations around the, the tribes of Israel pointing out the fact that their grain harvest just came in and they got a boatload that's just sitting there waiting to be scooped up. Okay, He strengthens those nations. He includes Hatzor. He includes the Philistines and the king of Moab. Those are just three, of, of, of how, three examples of how God focused the other kings and nations to come and judge Israel because of their wicked ways. Samuel reminds all Israel of the cycle of falling away from God to worship the really vile Canaanite Baals and the perverse Sidonian Asherah, bringing upon themselves God's anger. But when they cried out for rescue, when Israel said, Oh God, save us. Yes, yeah, yes, we've sinned. 
We have forsaken the Lord Yahweh, but now deliver us from our enemies and we will serve you, God. And Samuel continues. Then the Lord sent Gideon, who later changed his name to Jerubal, the, the one who contends against Baal. And he sent Barak and Jephthah and Samuel. Now those are not even in chronological order, but all of them delivered Israel from the hands of their enemies and you get them to live in security. And then he turns and he says, when you saw Nahash, king of Ammon, you said, no, for a king will reign over us although Lord, the Lord your God was, was already your king. That is to say, you never consulted me. You never came and asked about, what do we do about Nahash and the Ammonites? You never cried out to God regarding this invasion. You just, you just went with your appointed king. Now, therefore, this is the third dialogue, third part of the dialogue. Another, he keeps raising the ante. He raises it and raises it. Now, therefore, here's the king whom you've chosen, whom you asked for. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Verse 14, here's the point, okay? If you fear the Lord and serve him. If you listen to his voice and not rebel against his command, or literally his mouth, you know you don't you don't rebel against the mouth of the Lord. Then both you and the king will, who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. And then verse fifteen: If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord and rebel against the mouth of the Lord then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Another pointed history lesson here. Verse 16, and he says now again, even now, even now, this is the fourth and final point he, that he has to make. Even now, take your stand on your feet, people, eyes on me. Come on, get up in your tribes and in your clans. One more time. Hup, hup. Okay. See this great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes. So they're, they're kind of looking around, kind of like, what, what's God going to do? What's God going to do? Now, this is the month of May. It's hot. Okay? And, and um, Samuel says, is it not wheat harvest? And all of them went, uh, yeah. Because they had all left standing grain in their fields to come to war. And Samuel says, I will call on the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord. By asking for yourselves a king and by relying on your king at Jabesh, Gar you know, this is my, my take, Peren, relying on your king at Jabesh Gilead and not the Lord. So Samuel called on the Lord and the Lord sent thunder Literally sounds, but and, and rain. So it's it's lightning, thunder, and and crushing rain. All right. When that hits a a grain crop in the field, it damages the grain heads. It knocks them about. Okay. It diminishes the harvest, if not ruins the harvest. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel at the display. But in their minds, there's also this. Oh man, hungry times this year. Our bellies 
are going to be empty. See, there's the consequence. You know, God comes and judges his people firsthand. Didn't, didn't send the Philistines to raid the camp and steal the, steal the harvest. He did it himself. He diminished, perhaps destroyed, their grain harvest. Verse 19. See, well, let's go back. Exodus 19, verse 16. You know, the same thing happens at Mount Sinai. There's thunder and there's lightning and, and God speaks and that's what he's doing. His, it's like his voice is the thunder. Verse 19. Then the people who are soaked and shaking said to Samuel, Pray for your servants and to the Lord your God so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for, paren, and relying on, close paren, a king. Verse 20. Samuel addresses the shaken Israelites. Do not fear, which is exactly what they were doing. You have committed all this evil, yet you yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. All right, let's read verses 21 to 25 just to finish up this narrative. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they're futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has placed, excuse me, the Lord is pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and give him in, and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he's done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. What started out as a resignation address from Samuel ends with, all right, I will pray for you and second, I will instruct you in the good and right way. So he's back. He's back in the saddle. He continues to be God's prophet to Israel. All right, Forge. Lots of narrative again. But I want you to look very closely at verse 19 again. Okay, two things. Israel did not pray directly to the Lord. They asked Samuel to pray on their behalf. Now, we, his children by new birth have ready access to our Father God through the continuous, everlasting intercession made by Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father. How is that different from Samuel's crowd? Well, look at the phrase. We have added to all our sins. Now remember, three, four, maybe five generations have passed since the destruction of Shiloh, and the scattering of the priests in Israel. There was no one place where God had said to come, sacrifice, worship, feast, and repent. And as a result, all Israel felt the weight of no days of atonement, no relief from the burden of personal and national sin. Now, for us, we, moment by moment, day by day, have access to confess sin and repent. Our experience, our goal is Quote, no accretion of sin that weighs on us. We confess, we ask forgiveness, we change our course, and we, we take the consequences. And we're restored to God. Second, I want us to look at 
verses 14 and 25 again. God was, he's not playing favorites here. There's no one set of rules for, uh, and commands for the people of Israel and another set for the king. Now notice the if at the beginning of verse 14. Both people and the king are to serve God. Listen to his voice and not rebel. And then verse 25 says, If you do wickedly, both the people and the king shall be swept away. For millennia, there has, was a rule of governance called the divine right of kings. What they said and did was mightily abused. You know, they, 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 they just went over the top with it. And it was as if the Lord God did it and the Lord God said it. So they had, they had uh, a sense of right that they could do that. Okay, the result is result is civil wars and rebellions, imprisonments. Uh, you know, it's just awful things that happen as a result of that particular rule of governance. Our founding fathers in America renounced any kingly rule due to an extravagant misuse. For 240 years, we've been governed by a set of principles drawn from Scripture. Now, mind you, not without abuses but so radically different from any other nation. There are times we could rightly say, in God we trust. And other times we turn to politics, Wall Street, figureheads in education, media, ministry, entertainment, until they are proven fragile, corrupt, or foolish. And we are too. Forge family, today I want us to pray in unison together out of verse 14. Pray as you follow me on this podcast. The wording of both you and also the king set my mind and heart to put the emphasis on us first, not on those who are governing, and believe that we, as we are faithful to him, to faithful to God alone, our government will change and come likewise to serve, listen, and obey God. As our nation has changed, our government is to be changed. Now, verse 14 says this. Repeat it after me. If you fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the mouth of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. All right, Forge, let's pray. Father, 92 years ago, the American church gave up vast responsibilities to the federal government, and our nation has stumbled more and more as those of faith have stepped back from the marketplace and great needs in our communities. Here is a way back. So we say together, we pledge to serve you, Lord, to listen to your voice and to obey you. For the sake of ourselves, our marriages, our families, and our nation. Come, Lord Jesus, empower us to these commitments that bring forth life and fruit by the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless.